The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Avengers Initiative, WandaVision. Welcome to the Avengers Initiative, WandaVision, a PapichulaRadio.com original series. Papichula Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Monday, January 18th, 2021, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on Disney Plus's WandaVision. Please welcome my co-hosts, Professor X... Flourish. And Priscilla Rocha. Glamour. I love it. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 2, which was titled Episode 2 and debuted January 15th, 2021 via Disney+. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. In an effort to fit in... Wanda and Vision perform a magic act in their community talent show. All right, everyone, let's break this episode down because this is an episode where so much happened. Yes, there was the sitcom storyline, but there was so much subtext to everything that was going on. That, you know, for for those that found the first episode maybe lacking in that, they got a whole bunch in this episode. So, let's start off actually by talking about, and, and so we're going to go slightly out of order, because I want to save that opening scene, because I have a huge question about that, about something else. So let's talk about the the theme song. I mean, it really wasn't anything as far as lyrics, but clearly, since we're in the 1960s now, with, um, you know, Wanda's no longer wearing, you know, the dresses and that sort of thing like they did in the 50s, like the housewives did in the 50s. She's wearing pants and all that kind of stuff. Um, we get a bewitched slash I Dream of Jeannie, but clearly it's bewitched, more bewitched, um, opening theme and, and animation, and there are so many Easter eggs in that opening. What did what did we see? What did you all see? I saw the Grim Reaper mask. There was that. And that's 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 his um his arch rival, right? Vision's arch rival. Like it has nothing to do with his death or like uh, like his purported like. Like I did when I first saw it, I was like, "Oh, okay." That that they're they're talking about him dying, but some, but some. Um, my boyfriend was like, "No, that's his his rival in the comics. That's his helm." I was like, "Oh, okay." There was that. Yes, 
there was also so when we initially see uh um it's the moon right and then there are stars around it and uh they i think they correlate with the infinity stones well they could or it, they basically formed you know well it was six points so it's a hexagon which could also be the same shape that uh the end of the last episode when uh, Wanda and uh, Vision, you know, uh, you know, went out of the episode into whoever was watching them. It was a, uh, a hexagon shape, so it could equally have been that. True. Uh, some people are saying the hexagon. Or that shape could have been that. Well, the hexagon, you know, sometimes Vision's, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, the uh, the Infinity Stone in his head. Yeah, some artists have chosen to draw that as a uh, hexagon, so it could be that as well. Okay, that's interesting. Um, some people are theorizing online. They think the hexagon shape, it, it's shaped like, a, like a, a honeycomb. And so some people are thinking maybe, you know, it's the idea. Mm-hmm. No, not... Well, not AIM. AIM is, that comes up with something else that happens, but because we do see a beekeeper later. Um, but some people are thinking maybe, um, in essence, Wanda is the queen bee, and everyone else that's involved in this, whether we're calling it a pocket dimension or, or whatnot, they're her bees, her worker bees. So it's like the hive mentality, and, and they're all trying to keep up the ruse for Wanda. Oh, that is interesting because a honeycomb is a hexagon. So maybe. Yes. Yes. Um, so speaking of the Grim Reaper, uh, apparently, um, so in this episode, we see a license plate. Oh, no, no, no. In the license plate in, in the opening of the first episode, it, it has zero one zero two in it. And apparently that's the comic, the number of the comic in which the Grim Reaper first meets Vision. So take that what you mean. Uh, apparently also, um, was it Vision's, was it, was it uh, Mrs. Hart or is it Agnes that they wear a pendant showing the a Grim Reaper figure? Um, so there's that. Uh, One thing I think we should all keep in mind is the people who are creating these shows know all of this much better than the rest of us. Well, yes. And they could just be fucking with us. There is that, too. Which, yeah, there's that. If I was doing a show like this, I would throw in so many red herrings to lead everyone. You know, there was a... um, Oh, a moment, uh, there was a, a featurette about uh, WandaVision that came out, and everyone was going out on about the fact that, oh, when they were interviewing this one person, there was a picture of Wonder Man in the background. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Wonder Man's obviously going to come in. Come on, this is Marvel. They're not going to make a mistake like that. If they shoot someone with a picture of Marvel, with a, a picture of Wonder Man in the background, they want you to see it. They are playing with you. And I think a lot of what goes on, um, you know, uh, last episode we had, you know, the wine with House of M on it. There's a lot of stuff they're throwing in there just for the sake of putting it in there. And, you know, we've seen that in, you know, the the CW verse Arrowverse shows, you know, they will use names and, and references and stuff like that just for the sake of throwing it in there for fan service. That doesn't mean that there's anything more to it than than that. So, I mean, you know, the, the way we all react, you know, you know, 
you know, obsessive morons, you know, taking 30 seconds of a show and breaking it down frame by frame, like the, the sad, pathetic freaks they are. Um, you know, that's, that's just, that's ridiculous. You know, not everything that happens in a frame matters. True, but it does mean something like in the, in the store during the animated opening, there are two ads that were interesting, Bova Milk and Auntie A's. Uh, so Bova is a cow in the comics that evolved to walk and talk like a human and served as a midwife at the birth of Wanda and Pietro Maximoff. So there's that. And Auntie A's is probably, it involves uh, Agatha Harkness. It's a shout out to her. Whether you know it, it means anything in the larger scheme of things or not, it was still an interesting Easter egg. None. You want to throw down on Marvel Marvel trivia? Yes. Bova, you know, offspring of the High Evolutionary Mount Wondagore, Agatha Harkness. You want to throw down with me? Well, no. But did you notice it? <laughs> I did. But okay. I, I don't. Again, I think that's just stuff they're throwing in there. To, to just be, and, and again, it's not, they're, they're intentionally doing that to throw people off. I think it's just fan service, putting names that we recognize in, you know, in the same way that if you're watching The Flash or, you know, an, an Arrowverse show or something like that, they'll have, you know, a Marv Wolfman drive or something like that. And, and the fans can go, oh my God, it's Marv Wolfman. It doesn't mean anything in the larger narrative sense of the show, I don't think. All right. Yeah, I kind of I agree with with Professor X. It's it's just a nice little hint for people that are comic viewers to go like, "Oh my god, did you see that?" Yeah. And so they can like high five and go, "That's cool. They they get us. They understand us." And so you can feel cool about yourself for getting that. But do we really feel cool, Priscilla? Yes. Okay, we, we do. do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Okay, so let's go a little bit out of order and let's talk about the commercial during this 1960s WandaVision episode. And uh, we have a commercial for Strucker Watches. He'll make time for you. And uh, it's, it's very hydrified for those out there uh, that are keeping tabs. Uh, what do we think of the commercial? Was this one a little bit more straightforward versus uh, the one from the first episode? Oh, yeah, this one beat you over the head with it. Like, well, let me talk for the next five minutes about this commercial. Okay. No, this was absolutely straightforward. <laughs> the only thing we got out of it was the name Strucker. Uh, and with a name like Strucker, you know it has to taste good. And the Hydra logo. I, I, I didn't see anything else. And believe me, I tried. Because I was after the first episode, I was thinking, oh, the commercials are going to be really important. We have to analyze everything that happens in the commercials. This episode... Yeah, the commercial was just some dude wearing a watch. Yeah. I thought for a moment, is he wearing the watch upside down? Nope, he wasn't. He was just wearing it because when he turns his wrist to his face, it will be right set up. And so I saw nothing in that commercial. Yeah, I think... Same people as the first commercial, which yes. might be interesting. Especially, same man, yeah. same woman. Especially if they keep on picking the same people. You know, if they're the then, stars. Then it has to mean something. What it means, I have no idea. But yeah, unlike yeah. the last episode where... You know, obviously, I went into a disturbing level of detail about that uh, commercial. Uh, I didn't see anything in this commercial that uh, uh, that stood up to that level of scrutiny. This is not my theory. This is the theory that I read. But some people think that those are that those are Wanda's parents. 
Oh, I had not heard that. Interesting yeah. thought. It's interesting. I mean, you know, the uh, you know, I, I I've also heard, you know heard a theory that you know if you look at the first one, it was uh, Stark, and you know, you know, it was established in Avengers: Age of Ultron, a movie which I believe Jeff is your favorite in the uh, MCU canon. <laughs> no, um, but it is the most important. Uh, you know, established. You know, the uh, the Stark. Uh, you know, uh, name for Wanda, and in this episode we have Strucker, and it was Baron Strucker who you know, uh, experimented on uh, Wanda and her sister Pietro to give them their powers. So, you know, on these two episodes, obviously both commercials have a resonance with Wanda, but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't think we have enough to extrapolate. I don't disagree, but it is fun to try to extrapolate something. All right. So speaking of extrapolating, let me just point out in this commercial, no cocks or balls. So just, just saying, yeah. Oh, the listeners were wondering at home. Okay, so let's talk about this opening scene. Because it starts off in a very sitcom-y type of way. You know, the mysterious sound outside. Well, why don't you check? Well, why don't you check? Well, why don't you check? Well, I don't want to check. Like, you know, they play around with that sitcom trope. They also play around with the the separate beds uh, trope, which isn't really a trope. It was part of the Hayes Code of decency and and morality and that kind of stuff. If you want to... um, just spend an afternoon fascinated by what the hell was was uh, approved and not to be seen on television back in the Disney. Well, not just television, but in films as well. Just do a Google search for the Hayes Code and, and uh, spend your afternoon reading that because it is it's fascinating what people could and could not do um, on in movies and television uh, for until the rating system really uh, came into effect. Only bad people could kill. You cannot have the hero kill at all <laughs> without consequences. It was fascinating. Um, but yeah, so separate beds. Nowadays, we live in a world where only bad people can use Android phones and only good people can use Apple phones. So That is true. What a strange world we live in now. I, I do co-sign that. Um, so they play around with that. They have separate beds, but then they put the beds together. I believe... Bewitched, actually, was the first show in which the married couple shared the bed on screen. So it's appropriate, because this episode was very bewitched-y. So it's the mysterious noise outside. We hear that noise later on. We're not going to talk about the noise later on right now. We will talk about that later on. But I want to talk about the noise right now because I feel like the noise that happened at the start of the episode is in direct correlation with a new character that we meet in this episode, Geraldine. Are we all agreeing with that? I don't know that I agree. I don't think there's any necessary connection between the noise and Geraldine per se. I think Geraldine is important and her introduction is important and she will continue to be important going forward. I don't know the noise necessarily uh, correlates to her introduction, though. Okay, I do. And I will say why if Priscilla also disagrees. I I don't know. Like... That the noise is is consistent with Gerald. Disagree. 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 (laughs) 
I'll disagree. Okay, see, here's my line of thinking. I don't think Geraldine existed before this episode in this WandaVision television world. I think that noise, which we saw heard later on, is in essence a breaking of that reality and the real world sort of uh, puncturing its way into this world, whatever we're going to call it, a pocket dimension, uh, is sort of like what I have called it. Um, So I think that's the real world breaking into pocket dimension. And I think Geraldine uh, was sent in that night, and that's why she became a part of the world. If we notice when she's talking to Wanda, she breaks for a moment, and like her real self we all know who she really is, right? Do we? <laughs> yes, yes, we do. But I'm just wondering how, what tortured process of logic could lead you to assume that just because someone hesitates before they say their name to someone, that means they were ported in from another universe. Go ahead, Jeff, explain yourself. Because this is WandaVision. So Geraldine, the, the actual character that she is, is Monica Rambeau. And so I think she sort of bust in, and that's where the noise came from. And uh, I think she was in there doing reconnaissance, and I, I think she accidentally got sucked into the sitcom world. And that's why she's Geraldine. So I think there is a direct correlation between the noise and Geraldine showing up. You are retconning your ass off based on the fact that you know the actress playing Geraldine is actually Monica Rambeau. Well, it was announced, like, months ago. Yeah, so. but that doesn't mean you can watch the episode and go, oh, this means she bounced into the universe. Well, no. Well, after watching the episode and after hearing the noise, I mean, to me, at least, it seems like the most logical explanation of what that was. I mean, it was, okay. in essence a sitcom trope that they were using. But the fact that we heard that same noise again, it, make, it leads me to believe that that's how Geraldine was introduced into the sitcom world. Okay, based on the logic you just said, play with me here. Oh, someone just poured into my universe. Yes, they just did. Who is it? Oh my God, who are you? Yes. <laughs> I do agree. I love that you're... Priscilla, back me up here. Come on. I, I love I that... Y'all know that I'm right. I kind of agree. Like, what makes you think it wasn't just the, 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 the helicopter coming in and making the sound? I think it was both. I think Geraldine was on that helicopter. We haven't gotten to the helicopter yet, so I might as well mention it. So, uh, later on that morning, uh, Wanda find something incredibly unusual in her in her front yard. So this is a black and white world. She finds a fully in technicolor uh, helicopter, a toy helicopter in like uh, a bush. And it is the colors of Iron Man's suit. And so it's like the red and the, the goldenish yellow. And it's got a sword logo on it. And my thinking is, because I don't think that was a toy helicopter. I think that was a real helicopter. 
But because it entered this pocket dimension and it entered the 1960s, when maybe it's a, it's a high-tech um, helicopter, maybe it, it acclimated to that world and it turned into a toy, or maybe the pocket dimension turned it into a toy or something like that. But I think I think that was a real helicopter, and I think that's where Monica Monica was on that to like. It's not a surprise for me that they both showed up at the same time. Wanda looked freaked out, and I'm surprised that didn't really break her. Because we've seen her, we saw in the first episode, she sort of broke a little bit. You know, she spaced out, and, and, and she does space out later on. But I'm surprised that seeing the helicopter didn't, um, it, it clearly shook her, it but it didn't shake her. It didn't rattle her. It didn't trigger one of those weird Lynchian moments again. Yes, it almost did, but Agnes showed up. Hmm. Well, that's two things about that. One, if you look at it, when she looked at the uh, helicopter, she glanced back at the house, specifically at one room in the house, as if that was a room occupied by a child who might have a toy helicopter. There is no child with the toy helicopter at this point. Uh, but then, as you say, she was uh, disrupted by Agnes. And then what did she do? She hid uh, the uh, the helicopter. She clearly did not want Agnes to see this helicopter. So I think obviously it means far more than you know a uh, a toy helicopter in the rose bushes. What it means, I don't think know yet. And again, I think that's you know kind of what uh, you know they're playing with in this show is they're not giving us the answers. They are just raising questions and and forcing us to discuss interminably whether you know a sound in the background means someone has jumped into your universe. Mm-hmm. I know you will see that I was right and it's okay. It's, it's fine. We all see the light of day at some point. Uh, okay. So, or so hear it as uh, the case might be. Well, speaking of hearing it, <laughs> you perfect segue since we're talking about some of the weird stuff. Okay. So we're, we will be talking about Emma Caulfield as a character at a, at a certain point. So let's, let's try to hold off on chatting about Emma Caulfield specifically as Dottie. Let's talk about the radio. So, at a certain point in the episode, radio is playing music. Um, It's the Beach Boys. Help me, Rhonda. And uh, then all of a sudden, we hear what I hope should be a familiar character for those of us that follow the MCU, saying, Wanda, you know, are you okay? Wanda. Wanda. And Wanda and Dottie both are a little confused. They're, you know, Dottie's still sort of going on and being Dottie, but Wanda's clearly entranced and uh, distracted. And, uh, yeah. What do we think this means? This is also another time when we see a splash of color in the episode because Dottie's uh, glass shatters and she bleeds red. And uh, they're both sort of shocked, but then immediately go back to the sitcom status quo. So did we all recognize the voice on the radio? It's Randall Uh, Clark. Yes. Yay! Shield agent. 
Is he shield? Yeah, he he, he was shield. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He's sword now. Well, yeah, he's sword now. Clearly, based on all the damn we logos. We don't know that. We don't know that. You oh, okay. are speculating okay. wildly just because of thumping noises you heard in the background and logos. But okay, so it's it's Jimmy Woo, a voice we should know from Ant Man, the first one, or just Ant Man Two, Ant Man and the Wasp, Ant Man. Both Ant-Mans, right? Yeah. And I don't think he's been anything else, has he? Yeah, I'm trying to think. He was not in any of the Spider-Mans, right? No. No, I so, think so. So I think the Ant-Man movies. But clearly a character set up in the MCU as somebody who's a part of something. So what does what is this? What does this mean? Any theories? Any ideas? Well, what I found interesting about it is that, and, you know, I saw a lot of people online, um, you know, argue that Emma Caulfield was, you know, the big bad, um, a big bad, you know, let's just come out and say it, Mephisto. Um, but if you look at the way they played this, uh, this scene, it seemed like Emma Caulfield Ford was equally taken aback by what happened as Wanda was. And if, you're arguing that this is Emma Caulfield Ford was playing the person who was manipulating everything. They wouldn't have been that surprised by that moment. So I, it felt to me like a scene that, that undercut the idea that this was the big bad, uh, you know, for the season. Um, I thought it was really interesting. And I love the way they, they use the, uh, the sound from the radio to, you know, especially help me Rhonda, help to help me Wanda uh, was brilliantly done. Uh, and then having, you know, Randall Park coming in as that familiar voice, no identification of his face necessary. It's just a face that, again, if you are a, a, an MCU fan, you will immediately recognize this is someone I recognize that voice. That's why it matters more. And also what he was saying was, you know, Wanda, where are you? Um trying to reach out to her. I think that reinforces some of the things we were talking about last episode, which is that, is this something that uh, Wanda is doing on her own? Is this something that someone is doing this to her? You know, at this point in the episode, we don't know yet, but it's clear that, you know, Wanda is off the reserve and, you know, people are trying to reach out to her. And I thought it was a very cleverly, clever way of doing it. And also, you know, setting up that scene, you know, with, uh, with, uh, again, uh, Emma Caulfield, Emma Caulfield Ford, um, uh, you know, as, you know, someone that, you know, seemed to be the, the, the queen bee, but, you know, when the radio started reacting, she seemed totally taken aback. And I thought that was interesting because if she is the character that a lot of people have been speculating that she was, I don't think she would react in that way. Correct. I don't think she's that character either. Um, and what do we think of the, the, the red with the blood? Significance to that? Outside of just giving us the, the visual? Well, the visual played off of... Um, uh, Wanda finding the uh, the helicopter earlier because you know the red yeah uh, against the uh, the black my background stands out so much but it stands out so much more because you know it, it suggests that whatever uh, that helicopter was intruding into this reality the same thing is happening with her and you know it it might mean nothing but uh, you know her saying to uh, to Wanda how do you deal with that you deal with it yourself and then going off to deal with that could mean more depending on who she is 
um, going forward. And I certainly hope that uh, Emma Caulfield Ford um, is a character that we uh, encounter in more episodes. Because when I was watching the the episode, I was thinking, who is she? Why is she so familiar? I I can't place who she is. And it turns out she was Anya from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I was, oh my God, that is Anya. And I haven't seen her in the longest time. But I just, you know, as someone who liked Buffy, you know, I, I have you know a tremendous uh, fondness towards that character. Yeah. What they will do with her going forward, I don't know, but I just I do hope that we see more of her. I don't disagree. I loved her as well, and she's all grown up. Uh, Priscilla, anything else to add in regards to the radio, uh, Agent Wu, uh, the blood? I think that the blood in the hand signifies that maybe she's an agent, or maybe she's probably like associated with sword or with the world in some way or another maybe she's like she's either like she's either a villain or she's either with sword but she's something to do with this world too she's a player in this game that's why her blood is red when it when it happens and she's not just like vision like somehow like disappearing or her like blood is gray when when the cut happens it's just she's a real girl yeah she's a real girl (laughs) i love that all right interesting theory i think that's really interesting i like that too now speaking of the devil and the grim reaper uh there were a couple of lines in this episode that were interesting the devil's in the details that's not the only place he is I mean, it, it was, in essence, a sitcom-y type of line. But it doesn't mean something. Mephisto. There is that. And also, I, I mean, just to jump ahead to the, the actual uh, fundraiser for the children. And them repeating it like a, almost like a Coltian mantra. For the children. Is it for the children? Is if there is a big bad, do they want certain somebody to have a children's? Well, again, you know, if you're looking at the uh, the conventional MCU, not MCU, but the Marvel comics uh, tradition, you know, uh, Marvel and the Vision did have a pair of twins, um, and you know, it turns out that they weren't real; they were, you know, a manifestation of Scarlet Witch's powers. Uh, which caused her to go mad, and, you know, in the House of M storyline, she wiped out all the mutants, yada, yada, yada. But uh, I do, th- yeah, I do think that uh, For the Children is interesting, because when they're doing a fundraiser for the school, you think they're talking about For the Children, meaning the children going to the school. At the point that they're doing that, Vision and Scarlet Witch, uh, Scarlet Witch is not pregnant. It could be argued that they're arguing that all of what you're doing is for the birth of these children. Who are these children? Interesting, you know, argument. Um, we didn't get enough in this episode to really uh, argue, you know, one way or the other. And again, it, it sort of, you know, as I was saying in the last episode, it it sort of feels like, you know, they're they're playing with us because, you know, if you are an obsessive Marvel fan, you know, or you're you are looking for every indication. Oh, is this? What is this? What does that mean? Um, but I did think it was interesting, and uh, I, yeah. As I say, I, I don't know. I, I liked uh, Priscilla's idea that, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, Emma Caulfield uh, Ford, when she cut her hand, she bled. 
and that was the only rib we saw aside from the uh, uh, the uh, uh, the helicopter. It, it could that indicate she's real uh, when everyone else isn't? Uh, in which case, you know, maybe they're subverting the expectations. You know, um, last episode, you know, everyone was arguing that uh, Catherine Hahn uh, was, you know, because her name was Agnes, she was going to be uh, Agatha Harkness, the beneficial person. Could it be that she's actually the malevolent figure uh, trying to manipulate Wanda? Um, I think they're playing it very cleverly because, you know, up to the end of this episode, I don't think we know enough to to judge uh, either way. I think, you know, Catherine Hahn's character could be the good guy or she could be the big bad. And I think they're playing it very uh, effectively, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, the uh, the little bits of information they're they're doling out to us. Well, just uh, I, I do want to continue on with the red theme, but, uh, but you mentioned uh, Agnes, Senor Scratchy. Aw, the rabbit. Well, no, Nicholas Scratch was, isn't that Agatha Harkness's son? Oh. Senor Scratchy. Oh, I did not catch that I at all. I didn't catch that. Well, okay, it, I, I don't know <laughs> if uh, Senor Scratchy or Mr. Scratchy, but Old Scratch is a traditional name for the devil. That too, that is true too. So that could argue that, uh, you know, or it could just be a rabbit who scratches. True. Now, are you ready to get your mind blown? As if I didn't already with, with Nicholas Scratch? Okay. How, how could I have missed that? I know. So, so speaking of, like, the devil, devil in the details, and the, and the theme of red, there was another bit of red in this episode. The big red gum. So this episode... No, 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 no. This is what's going to blow your mind. Because I don't know if this was intentional because they wanted specifically that brand. But this is an episode that's supposed to be in the 60s. Big red gum didn't exist until 1975. So I feel like big red, with the theme of red and the devil, and whether it's Mephisto or... or, uh, Grim Reaper, I feel like they specifically wanted that brand because they wanted to say Big Red to continue on with that theme. Well, as someone who spent, you know, 10 minutes analyzing 30 seconds of the last episode, yes. I doff my hat to you. I had not seen that. I had not, I had no idea when Big Red came along. And oh, that is really interesting between the old scratch and uh, Big Red. Mm, that is interesting. Yeah, because the they know, specifically the wanted that one. Coming from, you know, just, you know, a random what I would call an NPC in the uh, in the show. Oh, that is interesting. It, it could suggest that, you know, whoever if, you know, there is a malevolent force behind that, it's controlling basically all of the, uh, you know, the non-player characters uh, outside of one division or, you know, most of them. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, and it was just a throwaway thing that happened in the episode, which set up the sitcom-y sort of comedic antics, but fascinating nonetheless. Let's talk about the sitcom-y antics in this episode, because they really gave Paul Bettany the chance to play with comedy, the chance he had never gotten 
in the MCU, point blank, and the period. So Vision, remember, he can't eat anything, and they specifically mentioned that in the first episode, so it's something that was introduced, or, or reintroduced, or reminded, something that, that we were all reminded of. And, uh, you know, he wants to fit in with the boys, you know, talking about the neighborhood watch and the safety protocols and this, that, or the other. And he's offered some big red gum. He bites it, and I think he was just going to chew it, but then he gets sort of like paddle on the back, and he swallows it. And so we get this lovely, very 60s uh, animation of the gum gumming up the works in him. And it it allowed Paul Bettany to play a very much, a, a, in essence, a drunk vision when they have to do this magic act at the talent show. We saw the magic act being practiced at the house, and then we see it in full effect at the talent show. What did we think of vision, of gummy vision? Professor? Well, Paul Bettany is you know, a very skilled actor, and I don't think we appreciate how good he can be uh, funny. If you go back and watch the movie A Knight's Tale, you'll see Paul Bettany just playing an absolutely funny, off-the-wall character. Um, you know, the moments that we've had him playing funny in the Marvel Universe so far have been basically dry. Um, this was him playing, you know, just funny, over the top. And he did it really, really well. You know, he was playing a character basically being drunk. Uh, you know, so yeah, and it's kind of interesting to think about, you know, you're someone who has superpowers, but you're supposed to keep them secret. But when you get drunk, you just, you know, you're starting flying and lifting up stuff and, and doing all these things. Um, it was really, really funny to see him do that. But even more funny was watching Wanda trying to overcome what he was doing. So he was really, really funny, as I say, but he was just funny to set up you know, um, what, uh, Wanda was doing to overcome him and something that, you know, we referred to the idea that this was the bewitched series, you know, in the last episode, Wanda's powers were basically simple telekinesis in this episode, she was doing pure magic, you know, uh, to, you know, manipulating reality on a basic level. I wonder whether, you know, one of the things that they're doing in this uh, series is, you know, uh, advancing Wanda's powers with each series. You know, at last episode, it was very basic. This episode's more advanced. If that continues for the next three, four, five series, what will Wanda be at the end of it? I think that could be, you know, terrifying. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I feel like we're at least going into the 2000s um, as far as... Well, and one sitcom. could argue that if someone is manipulating Wanda, they could be doing this in this way in order to advance her powers to take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. I will also make a note that the hearts are still around. We saw them at the talent show, so that means Vision still has his job. It hit this mysterious job that I'm very suspicious about. Um, so I, I yeah. still think I still think the whole end game to this is Vision doing that data crunching and for the children, for Wanda and Vision's kids. I think those two things are 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 what whatever this nefarious something or other that's keeping them there. 
that's what they're using them for, for those two things. That's interesting. Could Wanda have made a deal with the Grim Reaper or Mephisto? Is that how you say it? Mephisto? Mephisto? Yeah, Mephisto. Mephisto. Um, could she have made a deal with either of them to bring Vision back, but the deal is she has to have kids or something that will belong to them? There are minor demonic characters in the Marvel Universe that it could be as well. You know, uh, you've got Mephisto, but you've also got you know, Nightmare. Nightmare yeah, I've heard like of that. Nightmare. Is, there's one that begins with like a CH something? Cthulhu? Yes, I've heard that name being thrown around as well. Yes, that's Lovecraft, not uh, the Marvel Universe. Oh, okay. Well, then somebody posted that as a comment somewhere and they were mistaken. <laughs> okay. Um... All right. Okay. Interesting ideas. I will have to wait and see what happens. Uh, Priscilla, what about you? What did you think of the sitcom-y antics with the uh, vision, the gum, and the talent show? <laughs> that made me crack up so much. I never knew that, that Bettany had so much like range in him that he could go from like straight-laced, stiff-upper-crust sort of van playing a robot to just this drunk lackadaisical guy who was just waiting for the next trick to kind of elucidate to everybody else that finally that yes that there are miracles and there's magic in this world and you guys just have to like open your eyes and believe and finally like see that there is something bigger than you out there in this universe and it's right in front of you like i don't know like it's just it was so funny to me and what especially when with wanda trying to like figure out ways to explain all of his tricks without it looking like it's magic especially the mirror one when when the lady's like i don't think mirrors work that way and dottie's like shut up yes. <laughs> that's oh it was, it was so funny mm -hmm. i loved it the comedy was fantastic one thing one thing i thought about uh that uh that scene where, you know, Paul Bettany was basically getting drunk. Um, that I thought might be more than just, uh, you know, uh, you know, subtext rather than text is when he said, uh, you know, we are going to lie to you. We are not what we seem. That seemed to me like, uh, you know, maybe uh, you know, something that had a little more resonance mm -hmm. than just, you know, someone playing a magician in front of the, uh, the local rubes. I thought that was maybe more, you know, uh, Wanda and Vision talking to, uh, to everyone. That's interesting, because the, the follow-up line was the comedy, because she was like, you're not supposed to say that to the audience. Uh, but that's interesting, uh, that line. The, yeah. Well, that's if you're looking at this show as being a little you know, um, uh, metatextual, then that would make an, uh, you know, uh, perfect sense. Yeah. I, I loved, uh, Agnes, uh, you sure you don't want to make, you know, a man named Ralph disappear? <laughs> so we got another Ralph reference in this well, episode. And, and also, um, you know, talking about Agnes, there were several, you know, if you, again, if you go back and, and watch this, uh, this episode, you know, really slowly, there were several um, scenes in which Catherine Hahn 
you know, at the end of the scene, when you would normally cut away, they hold on her for not even a second, like half a second, slightly longer than you would otherwise. And she has, you know, reactions that, you know, seem more significant. Well, she checked out the mailman's ass. Well, yes, but it seems, you know, there were several, you know, scenes where, you know, she was looking at people, you know, whether it was, you know, in the scene with with Didi or, you know, at the at the thing where she's looking off the side, like she's looking at something and reacting to it, which leads me, you know, much more than last episode to suggest that. I think that, you know, it seems much more likely that she is the, you know, the the uh, Agatha Harkness character. And, you know, um, something I, I was talking about earlier is the idea that, you know, the NPCs, most of the characters, most of the people that we see in this world are non-player characters. Uh, Wanda and Vision are obviously the, the, the player characters. It seems to me that Agnes is a player character. Um, Gwendolyn. Monica is a player character. They are not, you know, uh, products of the simulation. They are real people with, you know, you know, real motivations and real actions and stuff like that. I think Agnes is like that. Just like, you know, uh, vision Wanda and, and Monica is maybe DD. Uh, I don't think we got much of a sense that any of the other characters like that, but it, I did get a real sense in this episode that, uh, that Agnes is a player rather than an NPC. Okay, and my question about Agatha Harkness from the comics, because I'm not that comic book knowledgeable outside of just a little research that I've done here and there. Agatha Harkness is not a villain. She's an ally to the Scarlet Witch? Question mark? Agatha is Agatha. She is her own thing. She is basically chaotic good or chaotic neutral um she um uh you mentioned uh bova the the character um bova is a creation of the high evolutionary agatha harkness was um you know a witch who lived uh uh near mount wendigore which was created by the high evolutionary and took care of them um she was killed um came back several times um she was uh the um the mentor of the scarlet witch and taught her to manipulate her powers she died again uh she came back leading to one of my favorite scenes um because she basically became for the marvel universe um the superpowered nanny who would take care of your kids if you were superpowered beings who had kids so at one point she came back um she had died and then uh, when uh, Reed Richards and Sue Richards had a kid, um, Agatha Harkness just showed up saying, I'm here to be your nanny. And there was one point at which, um, you know, because they all knew she was dead, uh, Reed Richards said, you are dead. You can't just say you got better. But that was all she would say. She's this mystical, magical character who's not entirely bound. So you don't know what exactly her powers or her extent is when she's faced by someone who's really powerful. She seems arbitrarily powerful when she's faced by someone who's not that powerful. She doesn't seem that powerful. So she's like a really interesting nebulous character. So invoking her in this context, they'll have to decide at some point who she is and and what she can do or what she can't do. But if, you know, Agnes is 
Agatha Harkness. I think that's really uh, an interesting choice because I think Catherine would be a very interesting uh, character to play that. And I, th- I think we saw multiple instances in this episode where she was reacting to something happening slightly off camera or slightly off scene. It's like she was seeing something that the rest of us weren't seeing, which I think leans into the idea that either Catherine Hahn's character is Agatha Harkness or she's going to be the ultimate big bad. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Since we're, this is the, this is the bewitched episode. So she's kind of like aunt Clara, Clara. She's, you know, kind of kooky and fun. I like it. Uh, Okay. Uh, So let's talk about specifically Geraldine. So this is uh, Tiana Paris's uh, MCU debut. Not the debut of her character. We saw a youngster version of Monica Rambeau in Captain Marvel. That movie took place in the 90s, so, you know, it's no longer the 90s. So it makes sense that she is grown up. Uh, What did we think of uh, Geraldine? Just in general. Uh, Priscilla? I like her. I think she's... I think she's peachy keen, like she yes. said with a pants. She's the bee's knees. I think, I think she, I think she's fully stuck in this world, though. Like, unlike Dottie, who kind of had the shakeup and maybe understood that there's something not quite right about this world, I think she's fully stuck in this world now. And yeah. I think it's going to take something, like, bigger to shake her out of it. I do too. Yeah. We had that moment in the beginning. Even when she was stuck in Vision's like lockbox in the back and she's like, how did you get me in the back there? Like if she was really like an agent, she would have known like, oh, these people have powers or something like she would have known and like joshed them over it or something like that. But she didn't. No, because I think, I think that she, the, the, whatever this is, the pocket dimension that I keep on calling it, I think it's taken a hold of her. Um, I think she's going to need something like when Wanda saw the, 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 um, the toy helicopter to like really rattle her out of it. I think in the beginning she was, she was confused, but then once she sort of turned and she was like, I'm Geraldine, and she had the smile, the 60s smile, uh, I was like, no, nah, you gone, girl. Like, something's going to have to shake her to get her out of that. Um, and Professor, our other new character for this episode was Dottie Jones, played by your girl, Emma Caulfield, uh, what did you think of her just in general and the type of character that she played? The sort of queen bee of um, maybe not the PTA or whatever it was that she was, the women's society? Well, uh, before I get to uh, her, um, just uh, you know, talking about uh, yeah, Monica Rambeau, um, I thought it was interesting that you know the moment that she was introduced to uh, Wanda, there was that hesitation, that moment where she was thinking, 
who am I supposed to be? Um, which I think, you know, um, you know, going forward, because we know this actress is playing Monica Rambeau, not someone named Geraldine, we'll realize why she was, uh, you know, um, at that moment. But yeah, Emma Caulfield, it was funny because watching the episode, I was looking at her thinking she is so familiar. I can't figure out who she is. Why do I have this? you know, positive you know, feeling towards her, even though I can't figure out who she is. And it was afterwards when I, you know, uh, Google searched her name that I realized, oh my God, that was Anya from, uh, from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And uh, yeah, I thought she was really an interesting character because she played out, she started out being just totally the queen bee for the entire community to a ridiculous extent. But that scene that we talked about earlier where, you know, she cut her hand listening to the radio and boy i i just it didn't feel to me at that moment like she was the bad guy it felt like she was someone who was outside of what was happening and became aware and oh i don't i just don't know oh yeah as i say it it's entirely possible she will be the big bad it doesn't seem like that at the end of the episode, especially when she brought uh, Vision and Wanda in to get their uh, uh, their award. But I, I don't know. It's really interesting. And as I say, you could look at Catherine Hahn's character as being the, the good guy or the bad guy. It's entirely possible that Dottie could be the good guy, even though I think most of us are looking at, oh, she's the bad guy because she's you know the queen bee and she's obviously stereotypically the bad guy. She could be the one who is aware of things and is trying to help uh, Wanda just as much as it's possible that she's the bad guy. I don't think we know enough after two episodes to say one way or the other, but uh, I do hope we see more of her and I hope we see more of uh, Catherine Hahn's character going forward. I can agree with that as well. Uh, Priscilla, before we move on, anything to add in regards to Dottie? Did you immediately recognize Emma Caulfield? Uh, were you excited to see her? <laughs> the way you are about Marvel and going back to see it is the way I am about Buffy. So I just recently seen Buffy. Uh-huh. So I recognized Emma Caulfield like that. And I was like, oh my god, it's, it's Emma Caulfield. What are you doing in my Marvel? On, and how did I not know that you were going to be cast in the show? And then I looked at her Instagram feed and I was like, oh, okay, she wasn't allowed to say that she was cast in this until like way, way into the, into the series. Yeah, it was like, I think she announced it like the day before, maybe two days before all the, the episodes dropped. She was like, I can finally talk about this. I'm in this really neat show. And I was like, oh, look at that. So, in my defense, I would like to say that if she hadn't been in black and white, I think I would have recognized her sooner. I I was looking at her thinking, oh, you know, what color is her hair? Well, Which she's also a joke for Anya. I mean, she's also dressed in like 1960s attire. So I, I can, yeah. you know, it, it did take me like half a second to be like, oh, yeah, that is her. Yeah, but I recognized her right away and I... I fucking I love her acting and I feel like she's gonna do this like bitchy character a real service like she's gonna knock it out of the park with this character I feel like it's gonna have some layers to it I feel 
Like, it's not just going to be, like, the PTA woman. I feel like the blood symbolizes that there's going to be more to her. And I feel like with Dottie, you, Wanda's going to have to be careful with how she portrays herself. That she can't just be herself. She has to be more than herself. She has to jump through those hoops that Dottie has for her. to For her children in the future. To have the best, like, schooling and the best locations for them and stuff like that. So... I don't know. It's gonna it's gonna be tough, but I it's it's gonna be interesting. Yes. Speaking of interesting, we're, we're gonna talk about something very interesting in a moment. Uh, what I want to do right now is ask uh, you all the same question that I asked at the start of our previous podcast because it is gonna it's gonna tie into um, what we're gonna be discussing in a moment. Uh, are we fans of sitcoms from the nineteen sixties? Priscilla, dude, Bewitched, and I Dream of Jeannie were my jam growing up. I loved them, so this this is my wheelhouse. I loved this episode so much for its like references to the nineteen sixties. This was definitely my bag. No, all right, Professor. Oh, totally. Whether it's Bewitched or I Dream of Jeannie, this. Uh, this episode felt totally, um, you know, in sync with uh, with uh, with those. Okay, and I will agree. I, I love Bewitched, love Genie, as well. Um, definitely, this one was incredibly Bewitched. Uh, you know, the the I thought the fashions were really good, as well as the um, the style of the house because the house changed as well, which was really interesting to see. Um, so they really, they, they focused on the, um, the small minute details to really nail the era. And in the sixties on TV, uh, you know, we moved from black and white television shows into color, which leads us to the next, um, thing that we're going to be talking about. Uh, I will make note, of. Uh, both Bewitched and Genie started off in black and white, and they uh, eventually, a couple seasons in, uh, turned into color. I think Bewitched, maybe it was two seasons, and Genie, I think it was just one season black and white, and then it turned into color, something like that. Uh, I know Bewitched had, Bewitched is uh, the older show, so it, it was in black and white for a couple years longer. There's also different Darrens, if for those out there that maybe didn't know. There was that whole thing. Anyway, let's talk about WandaVision and that final scene. So, uh, all right. You know, it's it's the, um, you know, they, they arrive home from the, uh, the talent show. I will say that they were trying to sneak away from the talent show, but they, they were caught and they were awarded the comedy performance of the year. So they have a trophy and everything. They arrive home. They, they are celebrating. And uh, all of a sudden, Wanda turns around and she's pregnant. And, uh, you know... She, she has a baby pump that appears literally out of nowhere. And they're about to celebrate that when they hear 
that familiar banging noise from the start of the episode. And they walk outside and they find a man, or I don't, I don't even want to say a man, they find a person dressed in a beekeeper's outfit coming out of the sewer. So they're climbing out of the sewers. There are bees surrounding them. I will say, if you go back to the scene where uh, Agnes and uh, Wanda are talking and Agnes ends up checking out the mailman's ass, there is no manhole in the street. None. So that that manhole appears out of nowhere. Uh, (laughs) That sentence sounds weird. (laughs) If you take it into a different context. Anyway, cock and balls, apparently. Um, Wanda says no. I was just going to say. I know. Wanda says no. And rewinds the entire screen and goes back to the pregnancy reveal. And uh, now I can't remember the damn line because she says the exact same line. Uh, She says it the first time before the beekeeper arrives and and it's said in a very optimistic tone, but she repeats the line. It's something like, we're going to be okay, right? And she says it in a more melancholy, I need assurance type of voice. And then they kiss after she says yes. And the entire world around them goes from black and white into color. Visually stunning what they did. So let's talk about this. What? the hell does this mean? Bees and beekeepers and the sewer and black and white to color and pregnancy bumps and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Priscilla, what the hell is going on for the children? I told you it was AIM. I told you that hexagon shape was AIM. So you think it's AIM? It's the beekeepers. It's the it's, that's, that's but, 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 wait, wait, wait. There's a sword logo on the beekeeper suit. Yeah, but you know that AIM has infiltrated Swarm a lot of times, too. Oh, I don't know that, but I, I will I will take your expertise. Okay. And also, like, the, a lot of people have said that this is also Swarm. Like, the 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 character but i'm not so sure it, could, it it is him because otherwise it would have come out like as a giant lump of bees okay but, so so are you saying you're thinking this is maybe an aim versus sword type of situation yes so we have seen aim in iron man 3 yes yeah okay we've seen aim in iron man 3 um Clearly a different type of organization, but Iron Man 3 was many years ago, and and if you really think about it, we're living... The MCU is technically five years ahead. Was it five years that they did the jump from the blip that they called? It was like five years, right? Or four years? Five years. Okay, five years. Uh, So, 
So it has been some time since we've seen AIM. So maybe they've developed into a bigger organization. If it is AIM versus SWORD. Interesting theory. I like it. Was there anything else to it, Priscilla? About the baby uh-huh. bumper, Wanda Rewinding Time. I still think that that Wanda was... I, I, I'm amending my theory from last episode and saying that there is a big bad and that Wanda was brought in to like fix whatever like bubble that he's placed on this place but Wanda's using it for her own means now now she's using it to keep vision and to keep her children okay interesting professor what about you your thoughts on the sewers the beekeeper Wanda being pregnant uh, you know everything turning into color the no. Yeah, I think for a variety of reasons, this, the end of this episode was the most important um, uh, two to three minutes of one division so far. Um, it established, you know, one, Wanda is in control of this, even if she's being manipulated, she is in control. Who was the person in the beekeeper suit? Could it be AIM or it is Ford? We don't know. Um, but it shows that she is controlling this process, which we haven't known up until this point. So I think that's really important. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, the moment where she is basically converting everything into color is, you know, conceptually it's going from the 60s black and white to the 70s in color. Uh, that's important as well, but it also shows that this is under her control. So whatever is happening in this reality, this world, whatever it is, is her control. So we are leaving this episode. Wanda is pregnant. She's going to have a child or multiple children. For what reason? Is she being manipulated to manipulate reality or is it her children? That someone or something is manipulating her for it. We don't know that. For the children. But I, yeah. <laughs> well, yes. Um, for the children, you know, uh, was all that to get her envisioned to this point? And, you know, for the children. Um, I don't know. And again, I, I talked about this last episode, but I do think it's interesting to look at, you know, the creators of the show, the the director, the uh, the writers, they know we are so invested in the MCU that we will keep watching. And, you know, this uh, the ending of this episode, unlike the last episode, the last episode was just like, well, that's, you know, kind of interesting. And I said, if you weren't, uh, you know, a watcher of these, the, the MCU universe, you wouldn't care. But this episode, I think, you know, we suddenly think, well... What is happening now? And I do find myself personally wondering what's going to happen next episode in a way that I didn't think about that last episode. So I think you know, they, they really ramped it up this episode. I don't know what's going to happen next episode in any way. I, I don't know. Is Captain Hong going to be there? 
you know, Emma Caulfield be there? Will, you know, uh, you know, will any of the characters be there except Vision of Scarlet Witch? I know that we're going to be traveling into the 70s, so things will be in color. But I don't know what that's going to mean for the show. And I think that's really, you know, uh, brave and, and daring for the, the creators of the show because, you know, um, you know they, they are basically assuming that we're going to be on board for this. And uh, uh, I, I have no idea what's going to happen next. Yeah. I agree with you on that outside of the fact that it will be the 70s and 70s fashions and things like that. Um, I thought it was brilliant of Disney Plus to release both of the episode, both of these episodes first, because I think for Marvel nerds, we would have been excited at the end of that first episode, and we would have tuned in the next week. I think for anyone else that's a little bit more casual of viewers, you kind of needed this second episode, because as you said, Professor, the end of this episode really is a game changer. I think the entire episode in essence is a game changer. Like the first episode, as I, as I mentioned uh, in the previous podcast, it really was a setup episode. It introduced us to this world, this sitcom world. It introduced us to the dynamics. It introduced us a little bit to, as Priscilla called it, the David Lynchian type of, um, you know, um, menace that was there. But this one, because it, dropped so much in this episode and so fast you know we had the uh helicopter we had the introduction of geraldine we had you know the the look of an ease of some of the characters we had the radio you know with you know wanda are you okay and and we end the episode with uh, agent jimmy woo basically saying wanda is everything okay are you okay is anyone doing this to you uh we had that and then at the end of it, you know, Wanda gets pregnant and then the beekeeper and the beekeeper turns around, and looks at her and she says no with sort of fear on her face and like fear, but yet control. And then she rewinds the scene and then we turn into color like this one, I think, really uh, um, it allows people to, to just sink in and they're like, OK, we're in for a ride. We're strapped in, seatbelts on, and we're ready for whatever's coming next. What that is, well, we and, don't know. Yeah, and based on that, um, uh, I have heard that some reviewers were given the first three episodes, and uh, they said that you know the end of the third episode completely changes everything, um, which might be why they only re- revealed the first two episodes uh, you know, to a mass audience. So. Interesting. I'm well. I guess we got something to look forward to in episode three, as if we didn't already. So, all right. Before we hand out some of the stuff that we hand out at the end, uh, was there anything that I missed? A teeny tiny little moment that was missed uh, that we would like to discuss uh, before we head into the MVP. Uh, just one quick note that. I don't know whether it's going to be of any significance, but the mailman came out in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as someone from the 1930s in the last season. So I don't know whether they're reusing, they just recast the character as somebody else and they just forgot, or if that's going to be of any significance, but there you go. 
Okay. They have accidentally done that before uh, with uh, characters or actors that have had smaller roles. Um, I think the most famous uh, person that this has happened to is Alfre Woodard, who played a teeny tiny little role in uh, Civil War. And then she appeared as, uh, and the character escapes my name, from um, Luke Cage. Um, yeah. I think that, w- that was probably the the more famous person that they've reused, but they play different characters. All right. Well, let's get into the MVP. The most valuable player, state which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So, choose wisely. Professor, who is your MVP and why? Uh, Paul Bettany. Um, he played funny so well. Uh, um, you know, if uh, you've watched his uh, cinematic career, he's a very funny person. But in the cinematic universe, he he hasn't had the chance to display that. But in this episode, he was really, really funny. So, Paul Bettany for me. Fantastic voice. Priscilla, what about you? Who's your MVP and why? My MVP is going to be Dottie because I loved the character. I thought she was brilliant clashing with um elizabeth olsen's character and how she played just bitchy in that like correct tone just being cold and bitchy and just aggravating to everyone else around her and just we've all met that pta wife that just aggravating to deal with but you know you have to if you want your kids to get into the appropriate school or you want to have the right tone to have for your house or something. So, yeah, we we all character. And, of course, she played it perfectly. So, uh, yeah, Emma Caulfield, for sure. Another fantastic choice. And uh, my MVP goes to Geraldine Tiana Paris. I loved her in this episode so much. She was a breath of fresh air. Uh, the introduction to this character into the MCU as a grown-ass human, and uh, she was just fantastic. I, I really enjoyed her as Geraldine, a new friend for Wanda, potentially. Uh, yeah, and, and certainly an ally uh, once her uh, real persona uh, comes out, at least I, I would hope. Uh, but she was just fantastic from beginning to end, especially just the way that she, she switched it. The confusion and the hesitation on her face. And then all of a sudden, you know, going to that, you know, 1960s sitcom smile was uh, brilliant. So now it is time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 televisions? The point system is allowed, and if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden television, now in Technicolor. Let's start off with you, Priscilla. I'm giving this episode 10 televisions. I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it tickled like every single one of my bewitched fantasies. I thought that it was funny. I thought that it was action-packed. I thought that it was filled with intrigue. I thought that it had enough Marvel tidbits to tickle my comic funny bone, but still had enough drama where I was left hanging and wondering what's going to happen next. 
and I appreciate that in the show, so definitely a 10. All right, starting off strong with a solid 10 from Priscilla. Professor, what about you? Where do you stand? How do you rate this episode? Well, I liked it. I didn't like that much. I'll give it a very solid eight. I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was better than the first episode because, you know, we're leaning into, you know, the uh, the MCU mythology. Uh, we're finding out more uh, and we're raising more questions. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I really did like it. It was funny. It was smart. But, yeah, man, I can't give it more than uh, an eight out of ten. Wait, you said this was better than the first episode? Yeah. Didn't you give the first episode a nine? No, I didn't. You gave it an eight, then? Possibly. Okay. Now just go working with this Canadian math. I did not give the first episode a nine. I promise you that. Okay. Well, then you gave it an eight, so it's the same as the first episode. Fine. I'll give it an 8.5. Are you oh, okay. happy there, now? Yes, it brings joy to my heart. <laughs> so, okay. All right, so we've got a... No, it was Priscilla gave it a 9, then I give the first one an 8.5, because I split you guys in, in the middle. All right, so we got a 10. We got the professor to bump it up to an 8.5, just to prove yourself correct. Uh, I will give it a 9. Part of me wants to give it a 10, because it was so good. But I don't know why. Priscilla has, has inspired me for, with what she's done in the past of just holding out a little bit. And I feel like the next episode is going to be even better. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold out just a teeny tiny little bit. And I, even though my heart is saying a 10, my brain is going to go with a 9. It was fantastic, though. As I mentioned, uh, uh, Geraldine, Dottie, Agnes, the animation with the theme song, the going into color, all the twists and the turns and the little reveals. Everything was stellar. Uh, another fantastic episode of WandaVision. So on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Avengers Initiative WandaVision. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Avengers Initiative, WandaVision, and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with Priscilla. Good night, everybody, and have Technicolor dreams. I love that. And the professor. Flourish. Yes. Thanks for tuning in and download new episodes of the Avengers Initiative, WandaVision, every Tuesday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chula Archives. Good night.